so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I am uh, I'm super excited to have the opportunity to continue uh, in the series that we're in. We're in a series uh, called Light Arriving which is a, uh, an Advent series. And this week, the, the title is The Witness, The Witness. And um, as I already mentioned, we're, we're continuing to explore uh, the Christmas narrative, what we might know as the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story of how uh, Christ came, how the light arrived on the earth. And so as we continue in that Advent series, we're gonna pick up uh, the story in Luke chapter two, beginning at verse 25. We're gonna go on through verse 40, and we're gonna look at two uh, people in particular. So you can either follow along uh, with the screens. If you have the YouVersion app, you can follow along there, or you can just uh, listen to me as, as I read. <laughs> Here we go. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I said that slowly to make sure I didn't misspeak it. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in uh, the child Jesus, and just so you know, when it says came in the spirit, it means uh, he came by unction of the spirit. So I don't want you to think that it was like he came by spirit or anything. It just means that the spirit led him to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is anointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe Asir. She was advanced in years, having lived her, with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him all to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come into your presence and to um, hear your word spoken and to contemplate its implications in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, uh, as we hear from you, that you would speak with clarity and that you would lead and direct uh, the decisions that we make, the conclusions that we come to uh, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, as we kind of look at two people in particular in this text, uh, Simeon as well as Anna, uh, I, I kind of started to contemplate the, uh, the fact that I'm, I'm a hiker. I don't know if you know that, and I suppose I can call myself a hiker uh, because I've, I've done more than 10 high peaks in the Adirondacks, so you're welcome. There's 46. I'm still very far away, but I, I think I'm at 17. Does that sound right? Um, in either case, 
there was one time in particular that we had to go, uh, I had to go up Giant Mountain and you go up over Giant Mountain and you come down into a coal, which is like a ravine. And then you go up to RPR, which is Rocky Peak Ridge. And that's another high peak. So you have to go over one high peak to go to the other. And uh, there was this opportunity that I had to join this group that was planning on this hike. And they said, why don't you just come along and it'll be perfect. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. And there were some teenagers, majority of teenagers in that group. And so I thought, uh, this will be fine. Like we'll kind of hang out and talk and it'll be fun. We'll hike up there together. It'll make the time go by quickly. And so we hit the trailhead early in the morning and we start going up uh, giant. And almost immediately there's this uh, girl that kind of, kind of falls behind everyone. And just to be noble, Uh, I decided to go her pace, not because I needed to go that slowly or anything. I just, you know, for her sake, I'll slow down a little. And uh, so we were back there and I was like, you doing all right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, just, uh, I thought, you know, like hiking, you know, like you you just go on a hike, like I thought we'd just be walking like up a hill, not like up a mountain. And I was like, well, you know, it is a mountain. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, but it's like straight up. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's straight up. And she goes, how long will it be like this? And I'd already done giant in the past. And I said, well, it's going to be like going upstairs the whole time. And she's like, what? It's like, it's going to be like going upstairs the whole time, like for several hours. <laughs> and she's like, are you kidding me? Why do people do this? And I'm like, well, why are you doing it? Like, did you get tricked? Did you come here with like a bag over your head? Like, how did you get here? Like, she's like, well, I didn't understand. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's hiking. It's, it's part of the fun. You know, we're on a hike. And she's like, this is terrible. And then she does this critical motion uh, that is still stuck with me. She reaches into her backpack, and I think she's going to grab water, a snack, or something. She pulls out a, um, a what are these called? The inhaler. There you go. Thank you. Uh, she pulls out an inhaler. She's like, Krush! I was like, that's a game changer. Like, uh, so what's going on with that? She's like, yeah, I have asthma. This is going to take a really long time. I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not so sure you want to do this. And she's like, no, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. And so the leader of the group came back and started talking to her. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. And they're having the conversation. And, um, and so we continue on the hike. And there's, there's a lot of beautiful moments on that hike. If you've never um, been on that hike, uh, you might want to check it out. Although I've really set it up to be compelling. Uh, <laughs> in either case, there's this one spot that's like, it's like a false summit. And it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. You can see over the valleys, you see other mountains and everything, and, and you, you feel the wind in your face. And I remember when we got there, it was like the rest of the group was, had kind of been waiting for her to arrive. And so she came and there were some other uh, female adults that were with her. And so they get to this spot and we're all there and some people have their packs off. And, and she's like, I made it. And you're like, meh, you didn't make it. I was like, we're almost halfway. She's like, no, 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 like this is the top. We're like, well, it's like a false summit. And she's like, no, it's my summit. She's like, I have made it as high as I'm going. This is the top. She's like, it's beautiful. You know, she's looking around and it was beautiful. And she's like, look at how amazing this is. Like, I can't believe it. I did it. And there's this false sense of accomplishment <laughs> with her false summit. And so she's sitting there pretty proud of herself and pretty excited. And she's like, here's the deal. I'm not going any further. And the leader came over and said, well, you've come this far. Like you can't, you can't stop here. And she's like, yeah, but I can, but I can. I'm, I'm going to stay right here. This is as far as I go. I didn't expect it to, this, to be this hard. I didn't expect it to be this tiring. I'm amazed at the view. I'm done. I'm done. For some of you, 
that story <laughs> sounds really compelling because it might be similar to something that you would conclude if in the same situation. In fact, the question that I want to ask you as we move this through this text this morning is, why do we want out when things get difficult? Why do we want out when things get difficult? When things get harder than we expected, when we're more tired than we thought, when it's more painful than we ever signed up for. Like, why is it that when we get to that moment, it's kind of like, you know what? Far enough, good enough, I like it here. This is my summit. I'm done. I want to submit to you that it's because we want shortcuts. We want shortcuts. We didn't sign up for the hard. We didn't sign up for the difficult. In fact, in American culture, we don't really understand what difficult is. If you want to see difficulty, take a trip to a third world nation. We have such a Western mindset of what hard even is, of what difficult even is. And so the idea that we just kind of push away from the table and say, you know what, far enough. I didn't sign up for this. Like, listen, I got married because I love him. I didn't realize he would turn into like a dirt bag. Far enough. I'm done. I'm done with his marriage. Holding a baby, like, wait, so it makes a mess always? <laughs> like, if it's not coming out one end, it's coming out the other end? I didn't sign up for this. Like, I just want a little kid that calls me daddy and runs around and loves everything I do and laughs at all my jokes and says I'm their hero. <laughs> you have other issues. <laughs> we, want, we want shortcuts. In fact, I think we want shortcuts to peace. I think we want a shortcut to contentment. We want, in our society, we want our cake and eat it too. We've all heard that. We want everything to just be easy. Like, why are things so difficult? Why can't it just be easy? As humans, no matter where you are spiritually this morning, and I realize that we have a full gamut of people that are all different places spiritually, all the way from committed follower of Christ sold out to someone in the room that, that might be a skeptic and not even sure that God exists and everyone in between. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey this morning, we all desire a sense of peace as human beings. We just want it to be a little bit easier, a little less complicated. We want contentment. We want, ah, there, silence, contentment. And the tragic thing is, the holidays are marketed to us as a form of peace, right? You see all these pictures of families around fires and they're all smiling, you know, and they're like hugging and, you know, walking down the hallway like, gosh, are you ready for Christmas? I don't know. How about you? You know, and like, golly shucks, we sure love the American dream, you know. But that's not the way it plays out. It's not the way it plays out at all. It never or rarely delivers on what's been marketed to us. Christmas time is often a season of to-do lists, budgetary stress, lists of who wants what. And then once you figure out who wants what or who's going to settle with what you get them, <laughs> then there's like this, can we get it here in time? And wow, we've got all the stuff. Who in the world's going to wrap that? Isn't that like the most painful moment in the world? Like there, we're done. Now how does it get all covered up? I hate this. And then literally the kids are like, whoosh, they don't even care. Like, no, I've never had a child be like, hey, sweet wrapping job. You nailed it. The corners, beautiful. 
listen, this is so well disguised, I don't even know what it is. You know? no, they don't care about any of that, and yet we spend so many hours with the wrapping. Like, oh, this is contentment, holiday cheer. We got everything, now we wrap it as punishment. <laughs> For others of us this morning, it reminds us of loved ones that won't be present this year. It reminds us of broken relationships of painful disagreements with people that are so close to us. Statistics show that for a majority of Americans, the holiday season is depressing and stressful. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) It's the reality of it, though. We can paint it all pretty and put a bow on it, but the reality is that underneath the surface, there's all this complications of the reality that, that things just aren't as peaceful as we want them to be. That we just aren't quite as content as we want to be. What's interesting is that this isn't a new tension. As we look into this text this morning, we're going to see two sets, uh, sorry, two characters, two new characters, a set of characters in this Advent narrative. Simeon and Anna. And we can learn some things simply by observing the setting and who they are as people. They set, up the ta- the, they set the table in some form of the reality of the tension that we feel as we pursue peace. Both of uh, Simeon and Anna are both older. In fact, uh, some commentators will say, based on uh, what's disclosed in the text, that Anna was 84 years old. Other commentators will say, based on uh, the, the way in which the original text is written and what typically uh, happened in uh, a Jewish individual's upbringing, that she was actually 105. Either way, she's somewhere between 84 and 105. She's no spring chicken. So she's an older person. And uh, Simeon, we know, to be an older man as well. And so it's interesting that we have seen the ordinary last week, the typical of the shepherds, and now we're seeing some older people in society as they encounter the light arriving to the world. We also notice that not only are they older, but um, Simeon is a male and Anna is a female. And this means that where Jesus is actually being identified is in a specific location. The reason being is the way that the temple was set up, uh, the, the, the temple was set up in, uh, in very racist ways and very sexist ways. So one of the things that would uh, happen is that if you were Jewish, you could come into the temple courtyard. But as you came into the temple courtyard, if you were a female, you could go as far as the court of women. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> Welcome to the court of women. Remain here, woman. You know, like, eh, it'll fly over well in today's society. And so there's a court of women. And so it stands to reason that in the court of women is the only place that women were permitted. And the thing that is interesting is that as Jesus is revealed, we see that his mother Mary is present and that Anna, a prophetess, is present. And so that means they're in the court of women as Jesus reveals himself. I don't think that that's a mistake. I don't think that it's a mistake that the Son of God is revealed in a place where not simply men can identify him, but that women can identify him as well. You see, we see him reveal himself to the ordinary and the shepherds, and now we see him identify himself to the elderly and to the men and to the women. One of the things that, that we realize right here at the front end is that if, if it would have been in the sanctuary of the temple, 
which would have been more typical, then Jesus being identified would have been in an exclusive place. But right up front, we're learning that the gospel is inclusive. Jesus is for anyone that wants him to be the Lord and leader of their lives. In fact, there would be some people that would say that uh, they're confused by the language of prophetess in the Bible at all. And it's because they would diminish the role of women within the church, but we see within scripture something entirely different. We see strong, powerful women of God that, that Jesus built his church on. And we see Anna right on the front end being identified as a woman that, that is uh, strong and authoritative on par with Simeon, who's loved and welcomed, reverent in their society. I think it's a compelling picture. But then again, it's in the Jewish complex. And so did Jesus only come for the Jews? Well, we see in the text that uh, Simeon actually speaks. And when he speaks, it's actually, the phrase is actually uh, in a hymn. So we actually believe that Simeon sang this, which I don't know if he's just overcome with joy or whatever. I've never gotten to a place where I'm like, now it's solo time, you know? <laughs> like, welcome to the, to the court of women. Me, 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 me. Give me that baby. I got something to sing. But in either case, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're both really tired, so I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> he says this, and so I'm going to sing it for you. Just kidding. That would be awesome. He says, verses 29 through 32, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What's amazing about that is that we see in the early church where, where Peter and Paul are starting to identify, like, listen, not only is Jesus for all people, but the Holy Spirit is for all people. And they're negotiating these tensions in the early church of the fact that Gentiles are not lesser human beings than Jews, but really right at the forefront of Jesus being identified. He's identified in this place that is inclusive. And the person that's identifying him to be the son of God is saying, hey, you know what? He's for Gentiles. That's incredible. In fact, in their society, it was heresy. Especially when the thing that you might not understand is the way that the temple courts are set up. We have the, the court of women, and then outside of that, we have a large court area. And then there's a fence, a small fence that was built. And outside of that fence that went the entire perimeter of the temple was the court of Gentiles. They weren't allowed in. They had to stop right at the wall. You see, a light arriving, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for all people. Paul alludes to this fence, actually. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.14, I won't read it and you can look it up if you want, but he, he actually talks about the dividing wall of hostility that Jesus has destroyed. He's talking about this wall that keeps the Gentiles out. He's saying Jesus came for all people doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past. You see, the beauty and the offense of the gospel is that it levels the playing field. It levels the playing field. 
Anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus can be saved. Male, female, young, old, Jew, Gentile. It doesn't matter. Sinner, person far from God, enemy of God. He died for you. He died for me. We want to disqualify ourselves. We want to say, but we haven't, we haven't lived up to the standard. We believe that in some way we have to get our lives together until we can finally find ourselves at a place where we can be acceptable to the Lord. And did you know that's actual heresy? The, the, the Galatians were actually told and scolded. The reason why Galatians was written in part was to address a heresy that said you needed to be sanctified, you needed to be holy, you needed to have everything worked out before you were justified. And Paul's like, no, you got it way wrong. That's heresy. You know, Jesus died for us and came and extends his grace for the broken, for the people that are messed up, that sanctification comes at the moment we say, hey, listen, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. He begins to make us holy. He's justified us. It's done at the cross. So the one that we know as the Prince of Peace has always been controversial. Isn't that interesting? The Prince of Peace, controversial. Everyone since the beginning of time has had an opinion about God and Jesus in particular. Positive, negative, opinion nonetheless. is a controversial figure. If you talk about Jesus in any circle, everybody has an opinion, even if it's, he doesn't exist, he never existed. He's not the son of God. It's controversial. Verse 34 says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He goes on in, in verse 35. I don't have this projected, but I'm going to read it real quick. It says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's foreshadowing the reality that Jesus is going to go to a cross and die and that his mother's heart will be broken. It's so interesting to me that Simeon has lived his life believing and preparing that the Christ will be revealed to him. I would assume he would come as a full-grown man. I assume that Simeon would think the same. It's so interesting to me that there's not even a moment that, that Simeon questions. It's like he knows that he knows that is the Messiah, a child. That's the son of God. It's also incredible to me that in that moment when he has that revelation, the first words off of his lips are, I can finally go in peace. I think in my life, if I thought the moment that I come in contact with Jesus, it's going to be the end of my life, I would probably respond differently. <laughs> I'd be like, oh no, here he comes. So all my stuff in order. I didn't realize it was going to be today. Can you come back tomorrow? Like, I'm not really ready for the whole Messiah thing now because it probably means I'm gone. You know, I thought you'd be a little taller. Maybe be able to talk to me. I have some questions. No, he just, this is God wrapped in a swaddling cloth. This is, this is God bundled up and, and carried. Jesus is corporately and personally disruptive. 
He's disruptive. The Prince of Peace is inherently controversial and disruptive. I submit to you that you don't desire peace unless you're in conflict. Isn't that interesting? We want peace because we're in conflict. Without conflict, there's no need for peace. And so it's the disruption that causes us to lean in or lean out. I'm done. It's too hard. It's too painful. I didn't sign up for this. When in conflict, we will pursue ripped off versions of peace because of our impatience. We want quick resolution. Listen, I'm sick of feeling this way. I don't want the pain. I don't want the hurt. What can I do? What's the shortcut to make this right? Listen, we self-medicate because we want contentment. And so we turn to all types of things. We say, you know what? If I could just get more money, if I could get more money and be perceived as someone with more authority, then maybe life will make a little more sense. Maybe I'll get the respect I deserve. No, you know what? It's more stuff. If I just had more stuff, then I could go on the vacations that would give me a little bit of rest because what I really need is just a vacation, right? How many times have you heard that, right? I just need a vacation. Better yet, don't raise your hand. How many times have you taken a vacation and then you come home and you're like, yep, still sucks. Like, it's still hard. Life's still hard. Some of us desiring contentment turn to relationships. And when more stuff and more money and more relationships and more, more, more of whatever, when they don't deliver, we try to dull the pain with more self-medicating. Some of us in this room, I'm confident, they, we turn to alcohol. We turn to illegal drugs. We turn to the abuse of prescription drugs. Listen, I don't know your personal situation. So if all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, he knows. <laughs> like That's God directing something. I don't know. But I'm just telling you that we struggle with this idea of escapism. It runs rampant in American culture. I just want to escape. That's why you see this everywhere you go. Just people glued to their phones. Why? Because I just, I don't want to deal with this. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pretend like I don't have to. I have an important conversation going on with someone over here, <laughs> even though I'm in your presence. Like, wow, that's rude. But I just want to escape. And so we turn to technology. We turn to television. Just hours. We don't even know what we're watching. We're clicking through channels. It doesn't matter. The internet. It's right at your fingertips. We turn to sleep. I just need a nap. I just need, I just need, I've done that. I'm so guilty of that. I just go to sleep. When I wake up, the to-do list, I'm certain, will get smaller. Like in some way, the people that are in conflict will have had a conversation and resolve things when I wake up. And so we, we turn to sleep. We turn to food. We just try to comfort eat. I won't have you raise your hands because we're all about to do some holiday comfort eating. Here's the deal. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing fingers at all of us. Why? Because this is us. It's not you. It's us. It's humanity. It's the fallen nature of humanity. We struggle with this idea of saying, I want peace so bad, I will pursue a shortcut towards it. We want peace, but we can't find it fast enough. 
Because at the end of the day, the relationship doesn't deliver, the stuff doesn't deliver, the more money doesn't deliver, the food just makes us feel worse, (laughs) the sleep doesn't deliver, we're still tired. Like it's just, it's more pain. It doesn't help bring peace. And yet we return to it. And scripture says we return to it like a dog that returns to its own vomit. Gosh, so true. You just go back. And if you've not owned a dog and seen that, you're like, wow, what is happening right there? And why do the owners seem okay with it? Like, well, it just happens. What are you going to do? Yeah. We do the same. We just turn right back to it. So you know what? Maybe this time I'll get some peace from it because we're impatient. How did Simeon and Anna find peace? How did they find peace? How did they get to a place where he's so content that when he finds this one, he says, hey, now I can die. And starts to sing about the amazingness of who God is and the inclusivity of who Jesus is and what the gospel means. And Anna comes alive. This woman that has been widowed for decades has been, and the widow is so low in the rung of authority in their society. And yet she's overflowing with joy and peace and contentment to the point where she starts speaking of the amazingness of who God is. It says she goes and tells everyone. She starts to tell people. What they're saying is, Jesus is worth the wait. They patiently waited for an encounter with Jesus. It seems so trivial, right? They're like, you know what? You want peace? Just patiently wait for an encounter with Jesus. Okay. How does that happen? Is he here yet? Are we done? Did I find peace? I'm really busy. Doesn't Jesus know I'm busy? Like, this is super inconvenient. Can I have the peace now? Here's the amazing good news. We don't actually have to wait. You see, Jesus stepped into the story of humanity. He stepped into the story of humanity so that we wouldn't be struggling to try to lean in and have an encounter with God. In fact, Jesus lived a sinless life And when he died for our sins on the cross, when he paid the penalty for you and for me, scripture says that the earth shook and there was an earthquake. And in this temple, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there's this thick, thick veil where the high priest, after being cleansed, it was actually a gruesome process where he would actually have the blood of slaughtered animals poured over him for the penance and sin of of all of Israel. He would then go under this veil and into the Holy of Holies where he would present a, a sacrifice and encounter the presence of God. There would be a rope tied to his ankle with a bell on it because if he hadn't gone through the process properly, the sin in his life would cause him to strike dead in the presence of God. So they'd shake it every once in a while and he'd ring the bell, still here guys. If he fell dead, they'd just, pull his body out. The word of God says that when Jesus breathed his last, that the veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the presence of God was released for every one of us in this room. 
so that we no longer have to go through a ritual. We no longer have to go through the legalism. We can now come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice whose blood paid the price. And so we don't have to go through the process. We have access, unlimited access to the one true living God. Listen, the only thing keeping you and keeping me from an encounter with God is our unwillingness to be personally disrupted. That's it. It's our own willingness to go in and say, all right, God, the gospel kind of messes me up, so I'd really like to avoid it. Can we just have all the peace and the friends and and the community and all that? I love all that stuff. Like all that stuff's good. But when you kind of put your finger on my heart and tell me that I need to reorient the priorities of my life, (laughs) it's kind of disruptive. I don't like the pain of that. So we sit at a spot that looks good enough to us. We say, you know what? I think this is the view I was looking for. I think this is my summit. I think this is good enough. I think this is good enough for my marriage. We're okay. This is good enough. Relationship I have with my kids. It's good enough. So this teenage girl sitting on the side of this mountain with wind in her face, declaring the same thing. The leader of the group comes over and starts to cast a vision to her about what the top actually looks like. Starts to say, yeah, you see those hills right there in the distance? Yeah. See that mountain there? Yeah, yeah. You can see over that from the top. Really? Yeah. For miles. When we get up there, you might be able to see Vermont, in fact. What? Yeah, it's amazing. The day's clear. The view's going to be amazing. If you want, you can stay here, but you've come this far. Why would you come this far and not see the top? We'll go as slow as you need to go, but let us walk with you to the top. You've come too far, don't settle. And so I watched later on in the day before I went over that summit to go down into the call to RPR. I watched as she made it to the summit and literal tears kind of welling up in her eyes as the full-blown wind of the summit of of giant is blowing in her face and there's birds flying by and she can see for miles. And she says, I'm so glad I didn't stop. I want to tell you this morning, God did not create you to settle for ripped off lesser versions of your one and only life. And you're looking around and you're saying good enough and God's like, why in the world? Why in the world would you settle for this? You've come so far. Why stop here? I think it's the heart of God this morning that would tell you, come a little higher. I'll walk as slow as you want. I'll be right beside you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. It's going to be painful. It's going to be tiring. Maybe you didn't sign up for this, but there's better for you. Will you just take the next step? Will you put one foot in front of the other? Will you walk into the pain of the disruption? Because peace comes in the midst of conflict. So embrace the pain. You can have peace that passes all understanding. 
That's what scripture says. A peace that passes all understanding. But it requires a reordering of your value system and your life. Every time. And quite frankly, we don't want the disruption. Will you allow God to cast vision into your life this morning? Do you allow God to, to whisper to you the things that he has maybe whispered in the past and the voice has gotten kind of faint? Would you just for a moment maybe believe that God has something greater for, your, for who you are, for your life, for your one and only life, the impact that you can have not only in your family and not only the legacy that you're establishing right now, but for years to come, that you wouldn't discount yourself? To be willing to declare this morning, God, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna self-medicate. I'm not gonna attempt to escape or to ignore. I'm gonna lean into what you're doing in and through my life. Not because of my own ability or my own effort, but because I know that peace is only available through you. And so as I lean into escape, I'm gonna determine that I lean into you instead. The text requires something from us this morning. We can sit here and we can be inspired and we can say, you know what, that's so true. Like God has, he has more for me. And then we can leave this place and return right to that vomit and just go right into the, the same mode of what we always go into. Or we could instead say, what if God really has something for me? And so I want to ask you a question as you leave this place to contemplate. How can you lean into the peace that Christmas brings? Because Christmas is about a light arriving. It's about Jesus coming in to the story of humanity. And so what can you do to lean into the peace that only he brings? Maybe for some of you this morning, it's surrendering your life for the first time and saying, listen, I want Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life. I've never prayed that prayer or, or I've kind of breezed over it and I've never really said, God, you have my all. For others of us this morning, maybe it's a conversation about conflict. Say, so you know what? Before we can find peace here, we need to address the conflict and the pain. I gotta stop ignoring it. I have to stop marginalizing. I've gotta lean in. For others of us, it's being honest about the self-medication and the escapism. Maybe it's telling a loved one, listen, when, when I go over to the cupboard <laughs> and it is clearly not mealtime, <laughs> I need you to, to help me instead maybe talk about some things or join me with some prayer. Maybe we need to turn to some quiet time with God instead of taking that nap. Maybe it's about asking someone to help you pray about the situation of your life and risk being vulnerable to someone else. I don't know. I don't know this morning, but I know it's something. I know it's something for every single person in this room. God has more for us. He has a peace that passes all understanding. And we have the ability to be patient and allow him to be present in our lives. Let's bow our heads close our eyes for a moment as we contemplate the implications of that. With every head bowed and, and eyes closed, if you want, or you can just look at the ground. 
I just want to, I want to welcome you to, to pray a simple prayer. I'm not going to make you come up front or, or embarrass you or anything like that. I just, I want to provide space for you to be equipped to pray a prayer that begins a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's this simple. It's simply declaring that you're a sinner. Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. So I ask that you'd come into my life and forgive me. That you'd be the Lord and leader of my life. Will you disrupt my life so that I can find peace in you? It's that simple. If you pray that prayer, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it afterwards. This is our time to to respond to whatever it is that the Lord is leading us to do. And so as we start to, to sing some songs in response and in worship to who God is, maybe some of you need to make notes about who you need to have a conversation with. Maybe you need to have a conversation with someone in this room. I don't know. But I know that this is the spot to do it. So if you're like, listen, I can't wait until I get into the car. Or I, just, I just need to talk to somebody about this now. You can talk to the person you came with or you can talk to me or one of the members of the team. As a response time, I'd love to pray with you even as the songs are being sung. If, if you'd like prayer for something and you just feel like, man, I, I want somebody to, to pray with me, I'm, I'm available up front. You can come up and just say, hey, I, I need some prayer for this. This is our time to respond to what it is that God's doing, what God is reordering in our lives. The first song that the worship team is going to sing is, it's a Christmas song, but we didn't choose it, or they didn't choose it for Christmassy reasons. The words are powerful. So I want you to, to challenge you a little bit as you sing the song that you don't just kind of go through the motions, but you read the words and Allow them to pierce your heart and mind so we can respond to what the Lord's doing in our lives. If you'd like to, you can remain seated, but if you'd like to stand, you can stand as well. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to go into our worship portion. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your presence. I'm thankful that that we don't serve a God who is distant, but that you stepped into the story of humanity because of your love for us. You intervened, and as a result, we can have access to you this morning. A living God, the Prince of Peace. So Lord, I pray that your presence would remain in this place. That you'd be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Let's worship together, our Lord.